Good morning. Welcome to Warehouse. We're in week five of the series, The Kingdom of Me. And in this series, we are exploring a broader concept about where fulfillment is found, that undeniably, everybody, every one of us wants to know satisfaction, fulfillment, happiness in our life, and there's actually something deeply true within our souls that looks for that, and yet we often get in our own way. The path, that the, uh, the, the place that God's hold, hold out for us is a place where His kingdom is over all parts of our life, and it's a kingdom not of restriction, but a kingdom where our hearts come alive. We often get in our own way. Today, as we're moving farther into this series and exploring what do we do about this space that God has for us, we're looking at the issue of community. Because what you'll see happen biblically is that when God calls people to himself, he calls them together to himself. They come to him, and they join themselves in relationship with one another. And yet most of us find that there is a love-hate relationship with relationships, something that makes us want them and something that makes us back away. We're going to show you a couple of clips from a movie. It's about 10 or so years old, uh, based on the book by Nick Hornsby. It's called About a Boy. A lot of you have probably seen it. And it is the story of a guy who um, makes uh, enough money to live comfortably, but he's embarrassed by how he got it. His father wrote what is a truly hideous Christmas song, uh, Santa's Super Slay. And he makes royalties off it, and so he can afford to not work. He constructs then out of that what he would call the island life, contradicting John Donne's famous quote, no man is an island. He would say, in fact, island life is not so bad. And you'll watch in these couple of clips as Hugh Grant shows you how he develops island life. Welcome to Warehouse. In my opinion, all men are islands. And what's more, now's the time to be one. This is an island age. A hundred years ago, for instance, you had to depend on other people. No one had TV or CDs or DVDs or videos or home espresso makers. As a matter of fact, they didn't have anything cool. Whereas now, you see, you can make yourself a little island paradise. With the right supplies and, more importantly, the right attitude, you can be sun-drenched, tropical, a magnet for young Swedish tourists. And I like to think that perhaps I'm that kind of island. The important thing in island living is to be your own activities director. And I find the key is to think of a day as units of time, each unit consisting of no more than 30 minutes. Full hours can be a little bit intimidating, and most activities take about half an hour. Taking a bath, one unit. Watching Countdown, okay, uh... one unit. Web-based research. Two units. Exercising. Three units. Having my hair carefully dishevelled. Four units. It's amazing how the day fills up. And I often wonder, to be absolutely honest, if I'd ever really have time for a job. How do people cram them in? The sad fact is that, like any island dweller, from time to time, I had to visit the mainland. Well, this is Imogen. Have an order if you like. That's uh, well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Gotta. Lovely. 
Yeah, she's, um... Delightful, isn't she? Oh, isn't she? Mm. Tell the truth, Chris, I'm being a bit crap with her. You better take her back. Oh. Hey. I just think she could have been yours if we got your right together. Just think of that, yeah. So, the place is looking, um... Really nice. Barney, 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 Barney. Oops, say hello to Will, Barney! Oh. oh, here we go. It's the Antichrist. Hello, Barney. How are you? Oh, he's lovely. Yeah. What about you, Will? Any desire for a family of your own yet? I'd rather eat one of Barney's dirty nappies. Yeah, not really. I'm sort of all right as I am. I don't... Oh, please, Will. What's that mean? Oh, please what? Well, <laughs> look at yourself. You're 38 and you've never had a job or a, a relationship that lasted longer than two months. I wouldn't exactly say you were okay. I mean, I, I would say you were a disaster. <laughs> I mean, what, what is the point of your life? Um, well, no, you're probably right. There's probably no point to my life, but um, thank you for bringing it up. Well, the reason we wanted you to come here today was, well, we wanted to ask you... How would you like to be Imogen's godfather? Seriously? Seriously. Mm -hmm. Listen, I'm really, really touched, but, um, you must be joking. I couldn't possibly think of a worse godfather for Imogen. You know what I'm like, I'll drop her on her head at her christening. I'll forget all her birthdays until her 18th when I'll take her out and get her drunk and... Seriously, it's a very, very bad choice. Well, no, I, I just thought you had a hidden depth as well. Oh, no, 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 you've always had that wrong. I really am this shallow. What uh, Will has seen in his life is the negative side of relationships, which there are. There's none of us in the room who have not experienced the negative side of relationships. They can be irritating, time-consuming, difficult, and there's something in us that would like to avoid them or at least going too far into them because of the downside of them. There's a um, <clears throat> fascinating book by Milan Kundera called The Unbearable Lightness of Being, and in it explores this concept of the weight of relationships, and he gives both sides, that relationships have weight, and that weight can feel like a drag. He presents another side to relational weight as well, but Will has only seen, or thinks he has only seen, the one side, and what he has decided is, I can do just fine without relationships. Now, the movie's 10 years old, so you cannot, afford, you cannot believe that I'll let you not know the end of the story. If you haven't seen it in 10 years, I'm sorry, plot spoiler, in the end, he develops relationships. But here's the thing. They told him he needed relationships. It's a glancing blow. He pushes it aside. Don't you wish you could have this too? I'd rather eat one of Barney's dirty nappies. No, I don't. Everything he's heard about, look at disaster. You could have a family. You could have glancing blow doesn't even touch him. And so this morning, I'm going to tell you that you are hardwired for relationship. And the truth is, that can be a glancing blow. Okay. But I don't want to go deeper in relationships. I don't want to make connections. I see the weight the drag, the gravitational pull of relationships in my life, and I don't want them. 
or at least I only want to take them as far as I feel comfortable. In the end, Will develops relationships not because somebody told him that he needed them, not because he thought it would make his life less of a mess, but because he found something in relationships that he didn't expect. And in fact, he was not that shallow. Nor are you. There is within us something that deeply desires relational connections. And what I want to do this morning is explore that by building a case toward beyond simply the sense or the, the, the perspective of someone telling us we need them to something far deeper, something incredibly catalytic and profound for how we live our lives, for what we can see in the course of relationships. So I'm going to begin at the beginning of the Bible, and I'm going to go through the entire thing. Now, I am going to begin at the beginning of the Bible, and I'm not going to go through the entire thing, but I am going to start at Genesis chapter 1, because in Genesis chapter 1, here's what happens. It's the story of God creating the world, and as he's going through the story, he lays it out piece by piece, and then he comes to he created humanity, men and, and women. And this is how it's phrased. Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And if you're reading the Bible and you get across this and you see God saying, let us make man, and that means mankind, humanity, in our image and our likeness, the obvious question that jumps off is, who is us exactly? And is God just using sort of the kingly, we don't like this or we're going to do this? Not so much. As you go through the rest of the Bible, what you'll discover is that God is a being who is three in one, that at the very core of who he is, you see hints this through all throughout the Bible, that, that God exists in three persons, one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, equally people, one essence, one God. And, and in that, what we see is that God is inherently relational. Relationships are not something he likes or chooses to do. He is relational in and of himself. It's part of his character. And so when God, who by character, by nature, is relational, creates us in his image and in his likeness, he creates us hardwired for relationships. It's, it's not something external. It's a part of who we are. Now, that's fine, right? But that is maybe not even a glancing blow. God's a relational being. You were created for a relationship because you're like him. Okay. Well, maybe let's take it a little further. In, the, uh, in a passage we love to use at Warehouse because it sums things up, Jesus is asked one day, and it's in the, recording the Gospel of Matthew, he's asked one day, uh, what's the greatest commandment? And he's asked this because people are trying to trick him because there's lots of commandments, and he's thinking, they're thinking no matter which one he says, we'll be able to bring up a number of others and say, oh, really, Jesus? So this one doesn't matter. So what you're saying is, and what Jesus does is he, he summarizes in a, in a really profound way, and he says this. Oh, essentially he says, oh, that, that's all you want to know? That's easy. This is the first and greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And in a certain sense, full stop. Do you want to understand what the greatest commandment is? This sums everything up. He'll say all in the law and the prophets are wrapped up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. You are made for connection, for a relationship with God. That is the prime good at the heart of what our creation is about. God loves us deeply. He calls us into relationship with him where we invest in that relationship. 
Jesus then moves on and he says, a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and essentially he says that these things are inextricably connected. If you develop a love relationship with God, then you'll love others. And as we often do in the two sides of the stage, which I'm not going to use, I'm just going to explain, it's, there's a right and a wrong way to look at that. Oh, God loves me, and so I'm supposed to love him, and when I love him, I guess I should love other people too, because he does that, and it seems like the right thing. The passage rather seems that it just, it's just like it. It just flows right out of it. If you're in connection with God, you will begin to love other people as yourself. But still... Still, there's something missing. You see, I don't always act purposefully. Nor do you. Sometimes we just do things. They're not well thought through. They're not designed. We're winging it. I get the sense that God doesn't wing really anything. That he doesn't wake up one day and go... I wonder what would happen if I made a planet. Put some people on it. Mm, hey, that may have been a bad idea. I don't ever get the sense that God wings it. He's intentional and purposeful in how he designs things. And so for me to say to you, well, the reason why you're supposed to be relational is because God made you that way, doesn't actually answer the question. It answers one question, but there's another one below it, which is Why? Why is it that we are hardwired for relationships? Why is it that it matters that we wait? Why, as Melanchondera would say, do relationships have weight? Why do they have almost a gravitational force that can either drag or draw with substance? What's that about? Why are we relational beings? Why did God make us that way? Why is that important? That is found in a deeper space. And what I want to do now is we're going to look at the passage, one of the passages that Warehouse 242 is founded on, and that's Acts 242. We're going to look at Acts 242 through 44. And if you don't know what the, uh, why we are named that, Warehouse 242 comes from two parts. Warehouse, the place where things come into in order to go back out. Designed to communicate that what Warehouse is is the place that we gather together, but we gather together and then we want to impact the rest of the world. And so that's why we serve the city, and that's why we engage the culture, and that's why we pursue others to come into a relationship with Jesus, because we see ourselves as a place where we come together in order to go back out. Warehouse. 242, which comes from Acts 242, and that is the picture of biblical community, the imperative, the design for people to draw together with one another. Here's that passage. It says this, and what is, okay, I've got to give you context. Here's what happened. So Jesus rose from the dead, gathered his disciples, who were a little bit clueless and kind of terrified, and then he left the planet, and he said, now go win the world, just like that. And so they didn't really know what to do, and then God's Spirit came, and they had this sense of movement and energy, and then Peter was asked a question, and he answered the question. When he answered the question, he presented a picture of the gospel, of the death of Jesus in order to redeem people, to reconcile them back to God, and people responded. It hit their heart because something in them knew they were made for God. It hit their heart and their need for forgiveness, and they repented. And then this is what happened. Thousands of them came to believe in Jesus, 
And then the next verse is Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, this passage <clears throat> says what happened is they all became, they believed something individually, and then they gathered. Nobody told them to gather. Nobody said this is a good idea. They believed, and they gathered together. And as they gathered together, some amazing things happened. Now, I, I, you know I don't often quote Greek, and I'm not actually going to use the Greek words because what does that matter? But you know this is written in Greek, right? The New Testament, they didn't have English then. So this is written in Greek, and we've translated it. And this has some fascinating... Uh, and at the end of the service, I'm going to show you how to discover the same things I did. It, there's some fascinating word usage in this passage. One of them is when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking bread and prayer. The word there really means, they, they, it's a very strong word, that they strictly adhered. It's almost like they got stuck to. They didn't decide devotion. It was like, hmm, this is really good. They got stuck to and deeply connected, adhered. And what they adhered themselves to was what the apostles, which is the 12 original followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, were teaching them about God, to their fellowship, connection with one another, to the meals they were having in communion, and to praying together. In their getting stuck together, something amazing happened. Verse 44, that entire verse, all the believers were together and had everything in common. You know, that's two words. In Greek, two words. And the words are all in the sense of absolutely everything shared. Two words. Something happened to that band of people such that they were all in with one another. And the answer to the question is the deeper reason behind why we're called to relationships. In verse 43, it says this. Everyone was filled with awe. The word awe there is really the word fear. It says they were all afraid. The Bible uses fear in two ways. One is, ah, I'm scared. You know, terrified, scared. Scary movie type, I'm afraid. It uses another way, which also has a sense of, ah, I'm scared, but it's scared in a way that I, 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 I'm both repelled and drawn. It's the word that's used of God, fear. It's when people experience God in such a way that it's so overwhelming that at one moment they're absolutely terrified, and yet there's something about it that draws, like, like a moth to a flame that pulls at us. It's what some writers have called the numinous, that God is a holy other being, that in him, there is something that we just don't see anywhere else. We get glimpses of, but those glimpses, quite honestly, are him. There is something with him that is so drawing and compelling that at one moment it makes us afraid and draws us forward. I don't know what's going to happen if I enter this space, and yet I must have it. In the, in the, I'm going to talk to you about two passages in the Bible where people experience the presence of God. And I, I, I told our people, I don't want them on the screen because I just, I don't want you to look at the words. I just want you to sort of get the feel of the stories. And one of them is in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. 
And in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, he's having a moment. He's having a moment like a dream where he experiences God. In that moment, this is what happens. He, 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 he looks forward and he's like, he's in, he's in a throne room. In that throne room, it's like sound and light spectacular. There is smoke rising. There are people yelling out and they're all yelling the same thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God. And there are flaming um, angels. And I mean, it's like, and then Isaiah sees God. And this is what it says. And woe is me for I am undone. Literally, I'm unraveling. I'm coming apart at the seams. Woe is me. I am coming apart here. What am I doing? This is too much. Absolute terror. Overwhelming. And then one of the angels comes rushing to him, takes a coal and places it on its lips and says, this has taken away your sin. It gives us a picture of what Jesus Christ does for us. The numinous, the terrifyingly beautiful person of God is distant from us because of our own sin. And we get closer to God, we sense that we have no place there, no right because of how we've lived. And the gospel is the story of God taking away that barrier so that we can enter into a space that our hearts go on fire with. He places that on Isaiah's lips and he rises and suddenly discovers he can stand there. And God says, I need somebody to go out there for us and tell a message. And Isaiah goes, I'm in. All in. Then in the book of Revelation, Revelation's a fascinating book. I've tried to study it a number of times. Can't, it goes too fast. I mean, I start and goes, can't, it's hard to slow down. Fascinating book. It's a, it's a, um, a book that's written with tons of imagery. And, and in the beginning of it, it, it the story, it's, it's John. John is, you know, Jesus is, you know, he call, it's really funny. John calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. It's like, seriously, did you really need to put that in? But anyway, he calls himself that. And John clearly is close to Jesus. He's, he's his buddy. And he, John has been exiled to the island of Patmos for his faith. And as he's there, he says, I heard a voice behind me. And I looked around and he sees a vision, not of his buddy, but of Jesus in his true state, as the glorified Son of God, the eternal, the I am, the only one, the numinous, the holy being of the universe. And when he sees him, it says, he, I fell down at his feet as though dead. This is his buddy. This is Jesus who he'd walked along the earth with, that he'd ate with, that he'd laughed with, that he leaned back on his shoulder. This is his friend, Jesus, and he sees him as he really is. And he says, I fell down at his feet as though dead, overwhelmed. And Jesus walks over to him and he says, John, it's me. Don't be afraid. Terror then moves into beautiful, majestic awe. Because now he's seen that one for whom his heart most longs. The other. See, even though God makes us in his image, we are not God. We are, have some things like him, but we don't have those bigger things. Eternity. Glory. Holiness. He is the one true God. And when we stand in his presence, there is terror. 
that by his grace gets moved into a sense of awe that draws like a moth to the flame. That's what happened. In Acts 2.42, they had their individual experience of being forgiven, and then as they connect with, some, with one another, the presence of God emerges. You see, the magnetic part of fellowship and in why God calls us and why he hardwired us this way is because when humanity gathers in his name with one another, they experience the presence of God because every one of us holds the spark of divinity, made in his image, made to be like him. And so at the deeper level of connection with one another, we see things we would not see with a superficial look. We see more of the reality, the presence, the holiness of God, and it draws us farther in. They heard teaching. They prayed together. They ate together. And they began to sense more of the numinous holy God for who they were made, and they couldn't get enough. And so at that point, they were all in. Relationships are hard because of me and because of you. We have baggage. We have issues. We bump into each other. We cause each other pain. Relationships are heavy, weighty. And so it's very easy to make them at the surface. Keep them distant. Yes, I have some, but keep them distant. Not too close. Get too close, it might hurt. And in doing so, we miss the gravitas of relationships that God gives us to one another so that we can see him for whom our heart was made. That only happens when we go all in. I'm going to make a caveat and then I'm going to make a statement. The caveat is this. You do not have to go deeper in relationships, deeper in community, anywhere. And you don't have to do it here. However, if you don't, if you and I don't, if you and I let the weight of the relational drag, if we let that keep us from plunging into connections with one another, of moving through the difficulties, then what happens is we miss the big thing. We miss the reality of the numinous holy God Who's crea- who, who created us in his image and who gives us to one another that we can see him more clearly. We miss that. And so relationships are fearful, but in them is a spark of life designed by God to lead us closer to him for who we were made. And so you don't have to connect at warehouse. But if you want that, you have to connect somewhere. And if this is your community, my encouragement to every one of us is to move in. Not because you ought to. Not because we want more people simply spending time here, but because God has designed us as relational beings who when we go closer to one another, experience more of him And our heart becomes more fully alive because we see the majesty of the one true God for whom we were made. So if this is your community 
and you want that, you've got to move forward and push past the barriers that get in the way. For example, we have said here at Warehouse, I say this all the time, every time we talk about entry point, which is our first point of entrance into going deeper into our community, we say is that if you come here and yet you don't connect with other people, eventually you'll fade away because otherwise it's just a momentary experience. And quite honestly, it's easy for us to live our lives that way, living around momentary experiences. The big show, whether spiritual or non-spiritual. The thing that we get a little bit of here, but then go back, really, living like an island. Not as extreme as Will, but like an island nonetheless. And so we say, if you don't get connected here, you'll eventually fade away because it won't stick. You won't adhere. And so if somebody comes here, the first time they come to entry point, we say three things. You've got to come back. If you don't come back, you will not experience community. You have to uh, get involved, meet some people, whether it's through a small group or whether it's through a, a couple of people you spend time with, and you have to, and serve on a team. Get involved with people doing something together. As you create those relationships, it is simply the vehicle by which God aligns our heart more with his and makes us more on fire and helps us to experience the God who quite often in the ordinary moments of life we miss. He gives us to one another, so we will not miss that. And so, Warehouse has designed a community because we believe the key to spirituality, the key to understanding the depth of relationship that God has for us is through one another through talking about what we read, through talking about what we hear, through talking about with each other about what we pray about. Hearts grow deeper to God. There may be models for connection that don't include things like coming back on Sunday and meeting with people and serving in a team. I'm sure there are. We don't know any other models. When we set these things up, it's not to build an organization. It's for the sake of all of our hearts and our experience with the depth of a profound God who loves us and calls us to himself. Do you know, I, when I come here on Sundays, I n- almost never come for the teaching. <laughs> when I go to other churches, I usually don't either. Not that it's not good and not that I don't enjoy it, but... I come here, the thing that makes my heart align with God and become more on fire is my connection with you all, and then something that happens right after I sit down. When our bands, led by the Spirit of God, lead us into a space of worship, there is something that happens that's difficult to replace. I can't tell you why or how, but God seems to have designed this experience in order to make us see his presence more clearly and to draw us deeper in. And so that's what I look for when I come here. Yes, as I study and as you hear, there'll be things in the teaching that will probably make your hearts more alive, but there is something almost irreplaceable about that magnetic context of worship where you experience God, where something else happens. The numinous appears. The other appears. 
in a way that reminds us there is something more and there's something deeper and it's worth the entrance in. When we stay in the fringes of community, of relationships, we actually make it harder to know God. For example, practically, practically speaking, if you have kids and let's say they come to a kid's warehouse or put them in another context so you don't think I'm just talking about kid's warehouse, but since we're here, I'm talking about kid's warehouse, but any context, they come to a, a gathering. They're eight, they're nine, they're 12. They come to a gathering once a month, once every two months. It's harder. They have to get past the initial hard part of building relationships over and over and over again. It's why we've asked teachers to teach every week. Not, not because we're trying like to corral resource or something, but because we want our kids to have a constant experience which builds relationship, which gets past all the hard stuff in the beginning and allows them to see God in the midst of a deeper relationship. That's why we ask people to serve every month. It's not a convenience thing. It's about building community in such a way that people's hearts come alive to the reality and the presence of God. So, if this is your community, I encourage you, wade into relationship. Find the connections. Those connections are not simply pragmatic. Those connections are designed by God in order for you to see the image of God in other people and be drawn like a moth to the flame to the holy, beautiful, majestic God for whom your heart was made. Let's pray. Lord, in this space here, help us to see and experience you in a way that draws us deeper. There are so many things in our life that we like, that are decent, that are good, but you have created us for yourself because when we experience you, our hearts are on fire. We have that for which our souls crave the most. We have you. Not what you do for us. Just you. Help us to gather up the courage by the power of your spirit to wade in a little deeper. To explore the connections that you give us so that we experience you. Now we pray you would meet us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we start this part of our service, we do it with our offering. It reminds us God pursues us. He comes after us. And then as he wakes our heart and makes us more alive, out of that, we wade back into the world. A couple of things before you go today. One of these is if you go up into the meeting room upstairs, you'll see a bunch of bookshelves and most of those books are, are mine, um, reference books and things like that. And on several shelves, you'll see Greek and Hebrew tools. I do actually know Greek and Hebrew, uh, not that well anymore. It's hard to stay fluent with it, but I took years of it. Today, what I went through in that passage, you can do without any of those tools on my shelf, which quite honestly, they were all replaced in some way by a new tool I found online. Seriously, netbible.org. Netbible.org uses the Net Bible, which is the new, new English translation. 
but it is the most, single most effective tool I've seen online, and it's free. And it takes passages, and you can click on Greek, Hebrew, and it'll pull it up next to it. You touch any word, and it will highlight the Greek word that it goes. You click the English word, and it will bring up the Strong's Concordance, which is a dictionary, which will go through different usage of the, of the word. Now, on Sunday morning, I hope, I hope to inspire you, to challenge you in terms of thinking about your relationship with God and, and what you understand and how you can grow and how you can move forward in your life and how you can experience Him more. I hope to do all of those things. But one of the other things I'm going to do is give you tools. This is a very helpful tool for you to take the Bible on your own because this is how you grow. You grow when you pick up your Bible, when you pray, when you do it and ask God to meet you in the midst of that. This tool is incredibly effective to help you to do that. Netbible.org.